So I'm wondering how you would finish this sentence. Relationships are what? Well, how would you fill in that blank? Relationships are something. Uh, probably depends on what relationship you're thinking of, right? Uh, maybe you're thinking of a coworker, or maybe you're thinking about the person who has the locker next to you uh, in school, or maybe you're thinking about your neighbor, or uh, maybe your friend or your ex-friend, or maybe you're thinking about someone you're dating or someone you used to date, or maybe you're thinking of someone you're married to or someone you used to be married to. You know, maybe in all of those relationships, parent, child, all of those. Uh, and if you're joining us online, I was wondering if you'd do me a favor. If you would, just in the comment section, just put what word you would put in there. Relationships are, how would you finish that sentence? If you would do that for us, that'd be great. Listen, my guess is that somewhere on the spectrum of totally worth it and not worth two seconds of my life, uh, somewhere between life-giving and soul-sucking, somewhere in there, somewhere between frustrating but totally worth it, very difficult but needed. Listen, the idea behind this series is that relationships are tricky. In fact, I would say that the closer that you get to someone, the messier, the, ch the chances are better that it's just going to continue to get messier and messier. You know, the Carnegie Foundation discovered that relational skills are important uh, if they, their study found that only 15% of a person's success at their job is determined by job knowledge and technical skills. They discovered that 85% is determined by that individual's attitude and ability to relate to other people. So part of what they, they said, we, I mean, you can't, even, you can't even decide to succeed if you're not going to learn to get along with the people that you're around. Now, what's true uh, in the microcosm of where we work is true in the bigger picture of life. So we're going to take a look at what God says about friendship and dating and marriage. So in your notes in the Version app, Henri Nouwen said, the way to God is seldom traveled alone. That's why it's important for us to talk about this. According to Harvard Health, though, dozens of studies have shown that people who have social support from family or friends in their community, they're happier have fewer health problems, they live longer. Conversely, a relative lack of social ties is associated with depression, later life cognitive decline, as well as uh, increased mortality. One study, which examined information for more than 309,000 people, uh, uh, found that the lack of strong relationships increased premature death from all causes. And it doesn't matter what, all the causes by 50%. An effect on mortality risk roughly comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Greater impact than obesity and physical inactivity. It's generally understand that in all of our relationships, listen, they, they're so important to us. They have such an impact on our life, physical bodies, our, our emotional well-being, and yet they, they tend to sit on this continuum between simple and complex, complex between transactional and intimate. Uh, I read someone said that uh, three years ago, some of us would have seen our relationship with our Amazon delivery driver on one end of the spectrum as simple and transactional relationship. But now he or she may be your most trusted friend as they deliver your retail therapy two, three, four times a week. You're asking about their dog's surgery. They're praying over you and holding you as you weep in their arms. They said, in fact, for some of us, 
It's gotten a little weird, hasn't it? Uh, and that may be true. Listen, some relationships are simple. You wave and you say thanks, and you don't think of them again until you see them uh, one more time. And so we're going to talk about that, all right? I read that there are three levels of friendship, relationships in our life, friendship in our lives. Are you ready? want to make sure you get these. And, and you will be able to put certain people in each of these categories, is my guess. And the first level is casual friendship, people we enjoy only occasionally. Coworkers are typically casual friends. You may be friendly at work, but you really don't see them outside of work, and so you don't develop a deeper relationship with them. Uh, we also have close friends people that we see more frequently, and we have this right, deeper bond with them. Uh, we take time for close friends, and we need, uh, quite honestly, we need their fellowship when we are together. Uh, so there's casual, there's close, and then there's intimate friends. These are the people that there's this kind of soul-to-soul relationship, a deeper bond, uh, and we can be completely open and honest with them. We don't hide anything from them. As a matter of fact, they're, they are the few people who actually know us. They know our true selves. We, we can be completely, we can be completely ourselves with them. And over the course of a lifetime, it's likely you only have two or three or four maybe people who fit into that. Listen, if this is your first time with us, you're in luck. You've joined us on a great Sunday. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're kicking off this series about relationships, and we're going to talk about dating. Uh, that's next week. Eric and I will be up here talking about dating, uh, and then in two weeks, we're actually going to have a panel up here who will be talking about marriage and will answer your questions about marriage. So on the Version app, if you've got those notes open now, you will see there's a place to put your question. The questions that we've received so far have been great. And so if you have a question, we would love to get it. We'll answer as many of those as is possible. Uh, and so that's going to be good. But today, we're talking about friendship. And in our teaching team notes, which you don't get to see, but in our teaching team notes, we, we called it real friendship, how not to suck at it. But, but that's not what we're calling it in public, right? Because that could be offensive to people. So what we're saying is being and having great friends, which is really what this is about. Uh, also, in this series, because we want to have a, a Bible reading plan, if you don't already have a Bible reading plan, uh, we will provide one for every week of this series. So this week we have a, uh, a reading plan called Discipleship 101, Following Jesus with Friends. Again, you can find that in our notes, the link in our notes in the, on the version. So... Uh, on the notes, just underneath that link, uh, Scott Peck said this, we can never be completely whole in and of ourselves. We are inevitably social creatures who desperately, desperately need each other, not merely for sustenance, not merely for company, but for any meaning to our lives whatsoever. Relationships are essential to life. Not because of what Peck said, but because of what God says. If you go all the way back to the beginning, this has been true since the beginning, since the creation. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and God creates the whole world in six days. And after created light, God looked and saw that it was good, right, it's in yellow, okay? After separating water from dry land, God looked and saw that it was good. Third day, land and vegetation, and it was fourth day, sun, moon, stars, and it was fifth day, water animals and birds. Sixth day, land animals and us. And Genesis 131 says that God looked and saw that it was 
Very good. It wasn't even just good. It was very good. And then we get into Genesis 2, and God looks over his creation, and he finds something that's not good at all. Genesis 2.18 says that God looked and saw that it is not good for man to be alone. Since the beginning, since the beginning, it's not good for us to be alone. Someone said our greatest wealth is not measured in riches, but in relationships. It's not good for us to be alone. That's not to say that you never want alone time. Of course, we all want alone time, but that is to say that this is why you have this sense, this desire to make friendship actually work in your life. You want real friends. Proverbs 17 reminds us that a friend loves at all times, and we all need that. And the secret to this whole thing can be summed up in one sentence. It's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. It's the secret to all relationships. If you're wanting the secret, do to others as you would have them do to you, right? That's, that's really kind of the bottom line on this. You know, I read that in each cell of your body, there are approximately 50,000 genes. Scientists have discovered that in the midst of these normal genes, there's 20 genes in every cell. So out of the 50, uh, in your 50,000 genes, uh, uh, in, inside those genes are 20 that are classified as oncogenes. Oncogenes carry the potential of causing a cancerous tumor. It's simply a latent gene that can be triggered for destruction. And again, every cell in your body contains 20 of them, but they remain inactive until they're triggered by some outside source. So we all have them, but they just stay there until something causes them to go into action. I share that because inside our relationships are oncogenes as well. And what we want to talk about are the three most common causes that get these activated and ruin our relationships. So by, by looking at, by identifying what will destroy relationships, we're also going to identify what will build relationships, or said another way, what helps us have and be good friends. So the first oncogene in friendship, by the way, is selfishness. It is the number one enemy of friendship. It's the number one cause of conflict, the number one cause of arguments. That's when someone says, I want what you've got. That's, that's how that happens. And James talks about it. So we've been in Genesis. We're going all the way to the other end of the Bible. And I will tell you, it's all through the Bible. It's as if relationships have been an issue, something we've needed help with since the beginning. But James says this in chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And it's easy. It's easy to let selfishness uh, creep into a relationship, which is not news to us. No one's writing that down. Oh, selfishness. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. Listen, we all know selfishness destroys a relationship. So the question becomes, why can't we change? Or, or maybe better yet, why don't we change? Listen, there are a couple forces at work on us. I want to make sure that you know this. This is why this is such a battle for all of us. First, selfishness is natural. It's human nature to be selfish. I don't think about you most of the time. I think about me most of the time, right? My needs, my interests, my hurts. How do I look? How do I feel? Uh, who's hurt me? And listen, honestly, you don't think about me most of the time, right? You're thinking about who? You're thinking about yourself uh, more than anyone else. It's natural to be selfish. But what plays into that is our culture promotes it. 
Is that a surprise to anybody? On your notes, half of our trouble comes from wanting our way. The other half comes from getting it. Proverbs 28 says this, selfish people cause trouble, but you'll live a full life if you trust the Lord. And I know this is obvious, but let me state it anyway. If selfishness is what destroys relationships, what do you think builds them? Be selflessness, right? Uh, Living on mission means making the decision to and learning how to become selfless. The question is, what does selflessness look like? How does that play out? Really, what it means is a little bit less of me and a little bit more of you. It means I think a little bit less of myself and I think a little bit more of you. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm thinking of other people. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's, That's selflessness. Selflessness brings out the best in others. It actually builds relationships. I don't, I wonder how many of us remember Colonel Sanders. And I know some of you are thinking, no, remember him. I'm going to go visit him today. Listen, there's this story uh, that circulated about him that says during a flight, there was this infant on the plane that was screaming, crying. The mom was desperately trying to calm her child, but to no avail. The flight attendants had tried to assist her with this, uh, but, but nothing seemed to work. And finally, they said, finally, this face appeared the face that represents every sweet grandpa, right, that uh, alive. Anyone who's ever seen his commercials, and he, he walked up to the lady and asked if he might hold her baby. And he gently cradled the child, rocked her to sleep, and the plane's cabin became quiet and still. And when he returned to his seat, a passenger said, we all appreciate what you did for us. And Colonel Sanders looked at him and said, I didn't do it for you. I did it for that child, Right? James 3 says this, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys results only if you do the hard work. Don't miss that. Only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Sometimes the message version just says it in a way that slaps you upside the face, right? You know what part of the hard work is, don't you? It is hard work for me to think about you before I think about myself. I mean, we're battling our nature. We're battling the culture around us when we do that. So how do we do it? So I am selfless. In other words, I'm living on mission, becoming a disciple of Jesus when I show up. And this is when, listen, this is when you come to something even when you're not feeling it. I'm I'm assuming that you've been there, right? Have you seen the shirt that says, I'm sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come at all. Uh, uh, But you come, listen, you come not for you, but because others will benefit from you being there. Sometimes just showing up up is an act of selflessness. But I'm also selfless. I'm making this decision to live on mission when I accept people. I want to make sure that I quantify that or qualify that. It's, It's when I accept people for who they are, not who I wish they would be. It's when I accept people for who they are, not what they can do for me. Again, I am selfless, living on mission, Uh, also when I really listen to people. So it's when I show up, it's when I accept people, and when I really listen to them. You know that listening, you listening, is one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone, right? It's because you're giving up time. Now, you you can give people money, but you can get more money. You can't get more time. You've been given all the time you're going to get. So when you give somebody your attention, when you give them your ear, when you're listening to them, you're actually giving them a part of your life. That's selfless. And when you really listen to people, and by that I mean you're not thinking about, what am I going to say next? 
Are you really listening to people and you're not multitasking? You're not looking at your phone, right, when they're talking to you? Nobody else does that? Okay. Uh, all right. You're paying attention when you do that. Selflessness. Selfishness destroys relationships. Selflessness is what builds them. It's not rocket science. It's really easy to understand. Evidently pretty difficult to pull off. The, the next one is pride. The next cancerous uh, uh, piece of cancer that can destroy relationships is pride. Proverbs 13, you've probably heard this, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. And pride shows up in a lot of different ways. Shows up in criticism. Shows up in comparison. Shows up in stubbornness. Uh, an apology says, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I just want to say, if you can't say those words, if you're thinking to yourself right now, I've never said that before, or if you're thinking to yourself, I would never say that to someone, you have a pride problem. You have a problem with pride, and it's going to destroy relationships. What's interesting about pride is that it's a whole lot easier to see in someone else than it is to see in ourselves. Again, you've probably heard Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, the message version, I like it. Uh, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. You know how many egomaniacs it takes to change a light bulb, right? Just one. He holds the bulb in the socket and allows the world to revolve around him, right? But, so if that's pride, what's the... Yeah, it wasn't that good, was it? Uh, so, so what's the antidote? If pride destroys relationships, the decision to live on mission, if pride is the problem, what's the answer? It's humility, because that builds relationships, Listen to what Peter says. In this, in this one verse, he gives us five, uh, five pieces that build relationships. Listen to what he says. Finally, everyone must live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. Notice that first one in particular, live in harmony. That's what God wants in relationships. He wants us to have harmony in our relationships. But notice that harmony and humility go together. In a symphony, when all the instruments are playing together, it's incredible. It's ruined if one of the people in the symphony stands up on their chair and wants their instrument to be louder than everyone else's. It ruins the whole thing. Now, the way to grow in humility is by letting Jesus begin to control your thoughts and actions and attitudes. Paul would say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the way your mind thinks. Can I just tell you that if you hang around with grumpy people, you're going to start getting grumpy. If you hang around with happy people, you're probably going to smile more. You might even laugh a little bit. If you spend time with negative people, you're going to start seeing the negative side of everything around you. If you want more humility, you hang out with Jesus. Paul would write this, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, used to his own advantage. Listen, no one's ever been more humble than Jesus. Coming from heaven where he was adored, worshipped, to live a sinless life as an example for us, to allow himself to be crucified for our sins, not his sins, for our sins, and to be raised three days later so that we might have hope not just for this world, for this world, but also for the life to come. Listen, when I spend more time around him and I focus on what he has done, how he lived his life, 
that enables me to begin to, begin to become more humble and to build relationships. All right, one more I want to share with you. Uh, cancer in our relationships is insecurity. And again, you've probably heard or at least experienced Proverbs 29, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Again, the message version says it like this, the fear of human opinion disables. I like how it words that because when I'm so insecure that all I think about is your opinion of what you think of me, man, if, I, if that's all I think about, it paralyzes me. It disables my life. The problem with that fear is that insecurity prevents intimacy. There is no way in the world I'm going to let you get close enough to me to learn what my weaknesses are, my stupid, silly mistakes, the dumb things I've said. I'm not going to let you get anywhere near uh, me if, if I have that fear uh, of that. And, and here's what we fear. Uh, I fear exposure. Someone's going to find out what we're really like. And so I hide myself. I pretend to be someone that I'm not because I don't want you to find out who I really am. Or even deeper than that is rejection. And I'm going to guess, I would, I would wager that all of us have been rejected at some point or another in our life, and we've never forgotten what that felt like. And maybe you said it in your head, maybe you said it out loud. I will never let anyone close enough to me to feel that again. I never want to be hurt like that again. And you never meant to go through life alone, but I'm telling you, if you have that mindset, you're not going to let people know who you are because you might get hurt in the process. By the way, if you let people know who you are, I, there's only a couple guarantees I can make in life, but one of them is you will get hurt in the process. Does that make sense? We're all, I, I hope we're okay with that. You are going to get hurt, but the other side of that is if you never let anyone know who you are, you go through your life alone. You could be in a crowd of people. You could be at work. You could be in the same house. But if you don't let people know who you are, you're all by yourself. Listen, if insecurity destroys relationships, love builds them. But that's a decision. If we're going to love, that means we've decided to live on mission, to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. Joan Mill says that she enjoyed this ritual bedtime ritual with her son, they compared how much they loved each other. And she would say something like, I wouldn't trade all the boys in the world for you. And, and, and he would say, I wouldn't trade you for 40 motorcycles, or, or I wouldn't trade you for Aunt Judy's pool if it was filled with money and I was swimming in it. Joan says, one comparison stood out about, above all the others. One time Andy said, I love you with all the pieces of my heart. If you're a Marvel fan, you might say, I love you 3,000. Jesus would remind us that as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. You know, I put in the notes a quote by uh, Rick Warren because I think it's important for us to hold on to this and be reminded. Christ crushes the myth that love is based upon thinking nice thoughts or feeling gushy emotions. He pushes the definition of love to a higher level where behavior and beliefs combine in godly action. Love is no longer a schoolyard romance or relationship dictated by compatibility. Rather, real love and has always, uh, is and has always been a mom stumbling to her baby's crib for the fifth time in one night 
or a passenger giving up his place on the lifeboat to save someone else from a sinking ship. Love is Jesus on a cross dying for us even while we were still lost in sin. And then John would remind us, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Because if we're going to love that way, in a sacrificial way, in a way that thinks of others before we think of ourselves, with a love that, that listens, then it is going to, it's going to enable the love to push the fear out of one another. We drive fear from our relationships by loving one another so supportively that we feel safe in each other's presence. We love one another when we say, hey, it's okay to have a bad day. Come on. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to admit your mistakes. It's okay to say that your marriage is failing. That's okay. It's okay to confess your addiction. Even if you'd been on the wagon for 100 days and now you're back at one. Listen, that's okay. I'm here with you. It's okay to share that you're scared. It's okay to wait to want a day away from your toddler. Men, it's okay if your wife wants a day away from the toddler, all right? It's okay. It's okay to grieve this loss. It's okay to doubt and be confused and to cry. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. And they would lay down their life for their friends. So each week we remind ourselves, every week we remind ourselves of how much Jesus loves us. And part of that rem the reminder to ourselves is we remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross. So we come to this time of communion and, and we remember, we remember, listen, we remember that we didn't deserve it. And we remember that we have had this sin struggle our whole life, and we still do. Please note, everyone in the room struggles with sin still. Everyone. Our need in a friendship with Jesus is to confess that struggle, to come clean with him, and to say, I... I struggle with this in my life, and I'm so ashamed. I should be past this by now, shouldn't I? So that you can hear Jesus say, I love you. And I'll walk with you through that. I'll help you with that. That's why we come to moments like this. Because the cross isn't just a memory of an event 2,000 years ago. The cross is a reminder that our Savior, the one who gave his life for us, still walks with us and will carry us through when we trust in him. And so we come to this time of communion where we remember what Jesus has done in our life, but in our remembering, we also are reminded how to love each other. It's not just about how he loved us. It's about how we're called to love each other. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to walk through that together. God, thank you for your word. And that this whole idea of relationships and what needs to happen and not happen and how to make it happen and how to 
how to avoid it and fight against the things that need to not be going on in our life. Your word helps us know how to do that. It's not a secret. You didn't didn't try to make it so difficult that we can't possibly accomplish it. You, You not only told us what to do, you showed up in the life of Jesus. You showed up and put flesh on to show us so we can have a picture. We can watch what we need to do. And so Jesus, thank you for giving up the adoration of heaven to come to earth that you might live among us. Thank you for giving your life on behalf of our sins to pay the debt that we could not to show us what real love is that you would lay down your life for your friends so that we might emulate that in our own lives and so we remember today what you've done for us and we remember what you have called us to so Jesus we pray this in your name and Holy Spirit we ask this in your power because you live inside of us amen So we take the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross. And again, where he died for our sins, not his. We're why he was there. So that we could be in a right relationship with God. And so we remember together. reminds us of his blood which covers not just our sins in the past not just the things that we did it still covers what we do today it covers what we'll do moving forward because his blood is that powerful and it reminds us as we move forward because it doesn't just point backward it points forward to who he calls us to be and how he calls us to live and so we remember So I'm going to ask you to take a moment because at the very beginning when I asked relationships are what, my guess is you thought of someone. So I'm going to ask you to take this time to talk to Jesus about you and him, and I'm going to ask you to talk about you and that person as well, whether it was good or difficult. Take a moment and talk to God about that. Father, please help us as your kids to acknowledge before you everything that's in our life. It's not a secret to you anyway, but we need to confess it. If we pretend we have no sin, we make you out to be a liar. We don't want to do that, so help us. And help us to live our lives in such a way that the world learns what love is because Jesus you have shown us so help us to show the world we pray this Jesus in your name